Hey guys, welcome back to week two of our three-part series called Say What? where we talk about navigating difficult conversations. These are conversations like addressing racism, um, maybe getting caught in debates about social issues, maybe you have to bring up how a friend has hurt you, or you're trying to get through the nitty-gritty of a financial discussion in your marriage. All of these are difficult conversations. And what we're looking at in this series is how we can have these conversations in effective ways that also preserve the unity and prioritize the relationship. Just like last week, this week we're going through a ton of information. And so I'm gonna highly suggest that you go into the description box, download the notes, that way you can follow along. And all of this really is a flyover. I'm trying to show you all the different areas that you can dive deeper. And so the notes will help you to be able to make note of what you wanna go back to. Please check out the list of resources. Go deeper in those books. There's a lot of information that I can't go over today that is so important. So where are we in this series? Last week, we defined communication. We saw everything that goes into it, and we saw that it's kind of complicated. And then we took a minute and we looked at perspective taking, because that is one of the most essential communication skills and quite frankly, it's really lacking in our current day and age. If we can't step into someone else's shoes, then all of our communication goes awry. Today, we're going to look at an equally as important concept, and that is the communication climate. That basically asks the question, can this relationship withstand a difficult conversation? From there, we're going to look at other skills to diffuse a defensive conversation and build a supportive climate. So we'll look at some listening and then some speaking skills. And of course, next week, we'll put it all together. We're going to look at all of these skills and see, okay, when it's time to initiate this hard conversation, how do I prepare for it and how do I organize it? And of course, if you have any questions as we're going through this or you're going about your week, please email us. We have an email address below. Send us your questions, and on the last week, I'll do my best to go through them all and answer them. So without further ado, let's get started. Communication climates. When I say the word climate, you're probably thinking of weather. And you might have heard it said that there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. So if you show up to Antarctica and you're wearing shorts, or you end up in New Orleans in August in a full winter parka, that's gonna have a dramatic impact on your overall experience. And so I'm gonna propose that the same goes for our relationships. If we have some tension in our relationship or a chilly communication climate, then that's gonna impact the overall outcome of our communication and our conversations. So sometimes before we dive in, we need to ask, can this relationship handle this conversation. Maybe you're thinking, okay, yeah, I have a coworker, and no matter what I say, it's wrong. Or maybe you have a family member or a friend, and for months or even years, misunderstandings have been building, and so now tension is so deep that you could cut the air with a knife when you see this person. When we ignore these elements and the states of our relationships and rush into conversation, guess what? It doesn't go well. The communication climate suffers even more, and that ultimately impacts all future conversations. So sometimes we need to slow it down. Sometimes moving forward well, meaning effectively and in a way that prioritizes the relationship, sometimes that means going a little bit slower. And there's some biblical wisdom in this. Proverbs 25.11 tells us that the right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. And a wise friend's timely reprimand is like a gold ring slipped on your finger. Timing matters, and so the relationship matters as well, and we need to take time to pour into that. So when we look at a communication climate, what makes up this communication climate? There really are four key elements. Those are acknowledgement, trust, expectations, and commitment. So as we go through these four things, I'm gonna kind of describe them, but also we're gonna look at how to evaluate them in your relationships. So let's start with acknowledgement, because quite frankly, it feels the best. We all love to be acknowledged, right? If you've watched the show Parenthood, 
You've probably heard the phrase, I see you and I hear you. This is acknowledgement, letting the other person know, I see you and I hear you. So that means entering into their perspective, their point of view. We talked about that a lot last week, right? It doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything they say or understand it completely, but we have to at least acknowledge the validity and uniqueness of their point of view. Within acknowledgement, responsiveness is key. If I don't respond to you, or if I respond poorly to you, that's gonna minimize acknowledgement in our relationship. So as we evaluate acknowledgement, we need to ask ourselves, in this relationship, do we both feel seen and heard? Are we communicating that to each other in ways that we're picking it up? The second element is trust. This is key to any relationship. Dr. Tim Yolhoff says, if a lack of trust exists between individuals, any attempt to communicate effectively or to resolve differences will be compromised. I'm sure you've seen that before. When you don't trust somebody, you stop taking their words at face value, and you start kind of sneaking around looking for the unstated real answer. What are you really saying? This perpetuates a cycle of distrust and suspicion. Gandhi is quoted as saying, the moment there is suspicion about a person's motives, everything he does becomes tainted. So even if this person tries to make things better between you guys, you're not gonna trust it. What are you really getting at? I'm replacing your actual words with my assumptions, and that's dangerous. So when we evaluate trust, we need to think about the two main dimensions of relational trust. Do we view each other as reliable? Ask yourself, do we follow through on what we say we're going to? And secondly, do we care about each other's well-being? Are we showing that in ways that we're understanding? The third element of a communication climate is expectation. If you've been in a relationship for more than three seconds, you know that this is huge. We all create relational rules, whether we know it or not, but oftentimes these rules go head to head. How do I define connection, respect, love, support? We might define them in different ways, and if we do that, our expectations might not be met. Similarly, we all have a set of values. Each of us is totally entitled to make a hierarchical, hierarchical <laughs> that's hard to say, a hierarchical list of values. So maybe at the top, one person has family, and then the other person has autonomy or independence. Those will likely result in a mismatch of expectations. So when we evaluate our communication climate and expectations, we ask, are we meeting each other's expectations when it comes to time, energy, effort. One of my best friends and I, uh, we met in college as roommates. And after the first year and a half, she transferred to a different school in a totally different state. Now, if you've ever engaged in text messaging with me, first of all, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm very delayed. I get wrapped up in what I'm in in the present moment. And so oftentimes, time goes by between my responses. Well, at one point, she had to call me out on it. She's like, hey, when I don't hear from you for several days, I feel really undervalued. It makes me doubt our friendship. As you can imagine, ugh, no one likes to hear that. And for a second, because our expectations weren't being met, the communication climate was chilly, right? That's where we were lacking, was in expectations. Lastly, the fourth element of a communication climate is commitment. This is the assumption of a future. So when you evaluate this, you need to ask yourself, are we secure in where our relationship stands? I've lived all over the world, I've lived all over the country. Some of my best friends I haven't seen for years. And most of the time, it's okay if we only talk once a quarter, because we know we're committed to each other. But that being said, if things start to feel a little tense, I might have to check back in. Hey, are we, are we sure that we're committed? Do we feel the same way about the relationship? I might need to pour into this element of our communication climate. So the things that make up a communication climate are acknowledgement, expectations, trust, 
and commitment. So if you've identified a particular area where this is a little lacking, what do we do? How do we improve our communication climates? And ultimately, how do we sustain a good one? If you have a good thing going, how do we keep that? As we saw last week, communication is entirely based on the individuals. And so you might have to adapt the way that you communicate based on the other person. So for some of us, we think about this and we can make a direct approach to improving this. Others of us, things are so tense, we might have to take a more subtle approach. So in the example of my roommate, she knew that I value really open and honest communication and that I can take critique. And so she decided to take a direct approach. She called out the uh, unmet expectation directly. So if you are in that stage and you're in that place with that person, how do you do that without making things really awkward or potentially worse? It matters how you begin that conversation. So I'm gonna give you a formula. And just like last time, anytime I give you a formula, what matters the most? Tone, tone matters. Don't do this over text message and make sure that you're coming in gracious when you use this formula. It comes from Dr. Tim Muehlhoff in his book, I Beg to Differ, and I'm gonna beg you to check it out because it's transformative. But we're gonna call this the X, Y, Z formula. It says, when you do X in situation Y, I feel Z. So my roommate, what did she say? She said, hey, when you don't respond to my text messages for several days, I feel undervalued. See, what we do when we take that approach is we acknowledge that there's a correlation. You're doing something, I'm having a reaction. But we're owning our feelings and we're inviting a dialogue. We're inviting the other person to acknowledge or to discuss what's happening. We're not blaming and throwing fingers. If you do that, that'll start defensive and your climate will probably suffer as a result. So start with the X, Y, Z. Now for the rest of us, if this climate is so tense, so chilly, that you can't take a direct approach, how do we actively improve the climate? Let's look first at acknowledgement. If your acknowledgement is straight up frigid, like Antarctica status, you have to start with the I see you. Right? If we have the I see you, I hear you, this is where you start with I see you. So maybe somebody walks by in the hall and you say, hey, I like your shirt. Maybe you're in a group setting, a work meeting, maybe a V group. This person contributes something to the conversation and you say, that was well said. Now, don't lie about it. You have to be authentic. But within that, you have to actively be looking for the positive things that the other person is doing. So not only will this help the other person to feel seen and acknowledged, but it also changes your attitude. You're no longer looking for ways that you don't like this person. This will improve acknowledgement. Secondly, as I mentioned, responsiveness is key. If you want to build acknowledgement, you have to respond to the other person and respond well. So how do you do that? You ask the other person about themselves. Dive in to their perspective. Now, when I say attend to the other person's perspective, you gotta start small. Because if you're trying to build and warm up your climate, if you launch in and you're like, hey, tell me your thoughts on the criminal justice system. <laughs> sure, that might be the conversation you're eventually building towards, but you cannot start there if you have a chilly climate. So ask them, hey, I saw you went to this restaurant, how was it? Hey, I noticed you just went on a trip. I would love to get together with you, hear more about it. Now the point is that you're not trying to engage conversation so that you can share your opinion or your perspective, your experience. The goal is to let them feel heard. So while they're talking, how do you respond well? I'm gonna give you key, three key things. The first thing you can do is let the other person know that what they have said has made an impression on you. If you don't know what to say, you can nod in agreement. Oh, mm-hmm, mm. Right, use your body language to communicate that you're tracking. Or you can say things like, wow, I had never thought about that. Or man, that's so interesting. Let them know that what they have said has made an impression on you. The second thing you can do is communicate to them that their feelings matter to you. If they come in and they're super excited about something, say, gosh, I'm so 
excited to see you excited. This makes me so happy. Or maybe they're talking about some tough feelings. Man, I'm so sorry that you're so anxious. That's no fun. Let them know that their feelings matter to you. And then lastly, respond to the content. Too quickly, we just blaze past the content, and then they don't feel heard, right? Just like you wouldn't. So how do we do that? This is where I get really nervous, because communication is so spontaneous, you can't prepare, and I like to be prepared. <laughs> so how do you respond? If you have no idea, at the very minimum, this is for all you counselors, paraphrase. Repeat back to them what they have said to you. Man, it sounds like work is really stressful right now because there's not enough people to do all of the work. Another way that you can respond is by asking questions. Maybe you're having a hard time tracking because you don't understand the other person's situation. You can ask them, okay, it sounds like your work is totally different than mine. Walk me through a day in, a day in the life of you. Or maybe you notice a feeling and you're not quite sure where that's coming from. Okay, I can tell that you're really anxious. Can you help me understand what feels most stressful about your job? This is a great way to make the other person feel seen and heard. And lastly, ask them if there's anything else that they want to add. The Undivided series has a listening guide, and they put this really well. It says, listen until they feel that they are understood. Too often, we decide, cool, I got it, moving on. But maybe the other person doesn't feel like you got it. My father-in-law has a great example. He calls this walking them to the end of the hall. Pretend like you're walking down a long hallway and let the person gauge where you're at. If they stop, stop with them. If they keep going, walk with them. And walk with them until they decide, okay, we're at the end. We can turn off now. When you do all of these things, you strengthen acknowledgement, and that ultimately helps the other person let their guard down, and that sets the tone for the relationship and for any future conversations. Now let's look at trust. If trust is lacking in your relationship, you're gonna have to look somewhere other than here <laughs> for suggestions. That's a huge issue, a huge complicated thing. So Google Brene Brown, Anatomy of Trust, hang out with that for a while. But from a communication standpoint, if you are trying to build up trust in your communication climate, Think about the two dimensions that we talked about. Are you reliable? Do you care about my well-being? If you are the person responsible for the breach of trust, recognize that it is a gradual process. And any time that you show that you are reliable, and any time that you show that you care about the person, that is a drop in the bucket. And so on the other end, if you flake out, that's gonna negatively impact trust. So make sure you're paying attention to those two elements. And if you're on the receiving end, it's also important for you to realize that it's a gradual process. So every time someone follows through or they show you they care, recognize that. See that as a drop in the bucket. And this is not always the case, but sometimes we see, like we talked about last week, that communication builds on itself. So do you not trust somebody because they're not reliable? They always flake out? Do they always flake out because you always flake out? Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, am I reliable? And do I actively show them that I care about their well-being? Make sure that you are also contributing positively to the trust in the climate. Third, we have expectations. If you need to strengthen expectations, it's pretty simple. Pretty simple in thought, maybe not in action. But you need to lower your expectations and you need to define them. So I have a lot of friends, and not every friend has the same role. Some I go to for deep conversations, others are just for fun. Some people are the people I go to the fun events with, but very rarely do they encompass all of them. And so sometimes that means I have to lower my expectations or adjust them. What has this person shown me that they can actually contribute? Maybe I need to lower my expectation to match that. Sometimes we have expectations that we are unwilling to compromise on. This is important to me. That's fine. But then you need to be able to define that expectation for yourself and also for the other individual. Oftentimes we see this happen when there's a change. Maybe someone has a new job. Maybe they've had a baby. Or maybe they've moved to a new state. 
we might have to redefine these expectations. So how do you do that in a way that doesn't result in tension? Well, last week, when we looked at perception, we talked about a way to present it. So you can always say, hey, this is what I'm noticing. Are you noticing the same? Hey, I'm noticing with this new job, we don't get to see each other as much. Have you noticed that? And of course, we can always bring it up in the X, Y, Z formula. Like my roommate, right? Hey, now that we're not living together, when you don't respond to my text message for a couple days, I feel undervalued. If you need to strengthen commitment, the best way to do this is to remember the past with this individual and then invest in the present. Because when we invest in the present, we are ultimately investing in the future. An investment in the present in that relationship is an investment in the future. So if things are tense, you probably can't talk about the big things. So start small. I hate to break it to you, Ooh, but we're gonna have to engage in small talk. Nobody likes small talk, but it does serve a really great purpose. It can help us to breach that gap. Let us initiate a conversation. We can learn about the rhythm of someone else's life, the day in and day out. Maybe that'll help us to understand some other things going on. But it also helps the other person know that you're invested in them now, and that feels like an investment in the future relationship. We can also build rapport. Rapport building is when you tap into shared experiences or maybe shared uh, similarities. So studies have shown that not always, but a good majority of the time, men do this best through activity. So if you're a man and you're like, hey, I don't know where I stand in this relationship with this person, the best way to build rapport, invite them to do something with you, to go shoot a bow and arrow, to a game night, maybe to go play soccer. And for ladies, again, this is not always, but studies have shown that on average, most people do this through talking. So talk with each other. If you see something on Instagram, send it to her. Hey, this made me think of you. Maybe bring up something that you've done together. Hey, you know what? I was thinking the other day about that one time. When people do this, this helps to confirm that we're in this, we're friends, we're moving forward well together. Okay, Carissa, this is cool, but what if I'm the only one improving the climate? What if I'm the only one contributing positively? Yeah, I hate to break it to you, but that's probably what's gonna happen. Most of the time, you will be the only person actively contributing to a positive climate. So why should we do it? That's not fair. Well, I'm gonna, propose that this is a good thing for you to do regardless of what the other person does. So hang with me, here we go. Reasons why you should work to improve the climate even if you're doing it alone. Number one, when we give gifts, we give gifts not expecting anything in return. If you only gave people things that you could get something, something would be off there, right? And so when we think about things like acknowledgement, that is a gift. If somebody listened to you and attended to you in that way, wouldn't you feel really great? So when we give the gift of good communication and a good communication climate, we can give that without expecting something in return. Another reason that we should do this, even if we're the only one, is because of this thing called the social justice theory. Now the social justice theory tells us that attitude change can be seen as moving along a continuum and that it moves gradually we move from rejection to acceptance. So we see this in marketing, we see it in societal change, but we also see it in relationships. So let's make sure that if we're trying to move our relationship from rejection to acceptance, that our contribution moves the needle forward and that we're not doing anything that could potentially move it backwards. It's also worth noting that you're here listening to this, the other person might not be. So right off the bat, you're farther along on this line than the other person is, and that's okay. Let them be where they are. Maybe you're somebody like me, and I tend to move from rejection to acceptance really quick. Maybe the other person's not. Maybe they take a little bit longer. Give them grace in that. Make sure that you are just contributing in a way that moves it forward. And this leads me to the third point, and I wanna to talk to you about communication spirals. 
Dr. Tim Yulhoff says that the actions of one person accelerate the actions of the other person. This is how we have huge family feuds, right? One action accelerates the other, and before you know it, you have a full-blown negative spiral. So at the very least, when you contribute positively to a communication climate, you are preventing that negative spiral from gaining momentum. And so eventually, as you stop it, stop it, stop it, yeah, it's going to feel tiring. It might feel a little exhausting. But eventually, as you stop the negative spiral, you start to lay the groundwork for then a positive spiral to form. Okay, but why is that my responsibility? Why is it up to me to do that? <sighs> I have some biblical bad news for you. This is what we're called to. As followers of Christ, we're called to go first. Just look at the example of Jesus. We're to be peacemakers, even if it is not reciprocated or fair. Proverbs 19.11 says that good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, encourages us to turn the other cheek. And later on in that chapter, in verse 44, we see love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Galatians 6, 7, a man reaps what he sows. So yeah, it might not be fair, but if we are going first and we're doing the right thing and contributing positively, we're sowing good seeds. You might not see the benefit of it in that conversation or maybe even in that relationship. Maybe it takes years for it to materialize. But one thing we do know is that God's word never returns void. So if you sow good things, you will reap the benefits of that. Okay, so what if this is a toxic relationship? What if it's abusive, then what? Yeah, it's really important to consider. But first, I wanna ask you a question. How are we defining toxic? There are definitely some situations where the relationship, the communication is toxic, but sometimes it's just hard. Does that mean we get a pass? Mm, not so much. Bob Goff, in his recent book, Dream Big, says if you go deep with a few people and stay close to those who rub you the wrong way, you will have accomplished the ambitions that Jesus said were always worth the effort. So is this communication climate really toxic or is it just stretching? Because it's incredibly dangerous to only surround yourself with like-minded people who agree with you. We need to diversify, and so we're going to have hard relationships. Now, if it is, in fact, toxic and abusive, a truce is always appropriate. You can call time out. If you break your foot and then continue to walk around on it, what's going to happen? There's going to be more damage done to it. So we have to remove it, put it in a cast, isolate it, let it heal, and then reintroduce it. And so sometimes in a relationship, we need to do the same. Maybe we need to cut ties for a minute so that either both or one of us can pursue healing, and once we've done that, then we can come back together and move forward towards unity and peace. So I hope you see that communication climates are so crucial to conversation. If you want to dive into this deeper, check out Marriage Forecasting by Dr. Tim Yulhoff. It doesn't matter if you're married or not, it's just a good relationship book. So go deeper in that. We need to consider the relationship. It's not an excuse to never have a hard conversation, but it's just a tool to make sure that when we do, it can go as well as possible. So kind of a, a spoiler alert, next week when we look at how to organize a conversation, we're gonna follow this same process, which is think about the relationship, now what do we do? We listen. We listen first, always. So let's look at ways that we can listen in a supportive manner rather than a defensive manner. When I talk about mindful listening, this is being fully present in the moment. So you're not thinking about what you're gonna say or maybe what you forgot to put on the grocery list. 
but instead you are fully invested in that person at that moment. So first we're gonna look at four common mistakes that we make when we listen. And then from there we'll look at three things that we can do to actively listen well. A very common mistake, number one, is that we monopolize the conversation. We listen and then reroute everything to be about us. And a really common way that we do that is through interrupting. Now, before I get on my soapbox about interruption, I want to call out that this is a great opportunity to engage in perspective taking. There are some cultures and even some families where interrupting is a way to show I'm tracking with you, I'm listening, yeah, I'm engaged with this. Now, I just realized that I did that. Uh, I was talking to a friend on WhatsApp, and I like to like, throw in little like, witty comments, quippy things, oh yeah, that's so you. But when you do that on WhatsApp, it kind of stalls the progress, and so it like, interrupts them, it comes at the wrong time, they're like, hello, hello, are you there? You're totally clunked up the whole thing. So similarly, if you are somebody or you're part of a culture where you do that, recognize who you're talking to. Are they going along with it? Or is it clunking things up? Because again, we communicate in a person-centered manner. So if the other person is not going with it, that we might need to adapt how we listen. So with that being said, when is interrupting never okay? It's not okay to interrupt somebody so that you can talk about what you wanna talk about. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Kanye West, <laughs> right? Uh, I'ma let you finish, but when you do that, you totally reroute it to be about you. Another way that interruption really uh, messes up communication is when you interrupt so that you can question or challenge somebody. Let's think about sports. If there's a team that's going on a run, they're doing really well, they've got the momentum, what does the other team do to stop their effectiveness? They call a timeout, right? Well, the same thing happens when you interrupt. You're calling timeout on someone else's momentum. And so it makes them a less effective communicator. Chances are, if you would just let them finish, they'll answer your question, or maybe even address what you're gonna challenge. But we have to let them get there. Bob Goff has a great example of this. I want you to say the first three letters of the alphabet. A, B, C. Okay, now let's say the first three numbers on the number line. One, two, three. Now go back and say the next three letters. D, E, F. Okay, now back to the number line. Four, five. When you start to do that, when you get further along in the alphabet, it's gonna get really hard to remember where you were. So you might skip some things or overemphasize other things. So it's important that when we're interrupting, we're not causing someone to miscommunicate because they can't keep track of their thought. Another common mistake in listening is selective listening. Now we hear this joked about, especially in marriage, but there is one form of selective listening that is less commonly identified, but I would argue it is very common. This is what we call defensive listening. Dr. Julia Wood describes defensive listening as perceiving personal attacks, criticism, or hostility in communication that is not critical or mean-spirited. We assume that others don't like, trust, or respect us, and so we read these motives into whatever they say, no matter how innocent their communication may be. Yeah, I've done that. This is for all of us petty buddies out there. <laughs> you think someone doesn't like you, and so no matter what they say, that's how you interpret it. That's not a fair way to listen. We're putting words and motives in their mouth that, well, they might not be true. So we need to be able to identify this in ourselves, but I also want you to look for this. Now, I don't want you to look for this so you can like wave the person down and be like, ha, caught you in defensive listening, don't do that. That's not helpful. I want you to look for this so that you can diffuse a defensive situation. If there is somebody who has experienced deep hurt in a particular issue, so let's think about some of these conversations on racism. If somebody has painful experiences, chances are they might be a little more defensive in their listening. 
They might be offended by something you said, and you're thinking, that wasn't offensive. Okay, maybe not. But if we want to diffuse this situation, we need to be able to identify that and tell a more gracious story, like we saw last week. I can tell you're being defensive. You're reading into what I'm saying. Maybe it's coming from a place of hurt. That's a great way to listen well. A third mistake that we make in listening is we ambush. <laughs> I'm so guilty of this. My Annalise Keating, my little inner lawyer, comes out, and I'm listening for the purpose of attacking you. Oop, that's an inconsistency. Well, that goes directly against that. Ooh, that doesn't make sense because of this, that, and the other. When we do this, we're not listening well. And if you've been on Facebook for three seconds, you see this, and you see the effect it has. We've got to watch out for ambushing when we listen. And lastly, a poor thing that we do is we listen literally. When we listen literally, we're listening for content only, and we're completely disregarding the relationship or the feelings. So imagine, let's say you go into work and you tell your boss, hey, I'm so sorry, I was not able to get that report done on time, my father went to the ER last night, super out of the blue, so things just got crazy. Now imagine your boss says, okay, cool, we'll just get it to me on Monday. Oh, are you okay? What happened? Is he gonna be all right? It feels ugly when someone disregards your feelings or the relational element. I'm a human. So we need to make sure that we're not listening in that way. Again, let's go back to the conversations on race. If you listen, to a black brother or sister tell you about a painful experience, and then you just comment on the political aspect of it, or maybe the controversial thing, and you completely ignore the feeling or the person behind it, that's gonna dramatically damage the relationship and the conversation. So make sure that you're listening to the feeling and the person behind it. So we've looked at mistakes that we commonly make, now let's end on a positive note and look at three things that we can do to listen well. Again, there's a lot of resources out there about active listening, even with the Undivided series. So dive into those more. Here we're just gonna look at some general principles that you can take with you this week. If you wanna be a good listener, the first thing you can do is be open-minded. When you go into a conversation, keep the opinions that you have of the other person and their views Keep them tentative, open to revision. In order to do that, you'll need to engage in their perspective, see things from their side. We saw how important that is in week one. I love this quote from Robert Bolton. He says, good listeners stay out of the other's way. If you start throwing in your judgments and evaluation, you are setting up roadblocks for that other person to get through when you're listening. Keep an open mind. The second thing that we can do is we can monitor our self-talk and the emotions that come with it. So what happens, right? You sit down and you start listening to somebody and then all of a sudden you're having thoughts, maybe feelings are coming up. We gotta keep those in check. In 2 Corinthians, we see this idea of taking our thoughts captive. The thoughts that we think ultimately influence our actions. So the way that we think influences how we understand somebody and how we respond to that person. Again, this is for you counselors. Just because you have a feeling doesn't mean that you have to react to it. So sure, someone might be expressing something and you're getting kind of heated. You don't have to give in to that emotion. You can recognize that it's there, but if you give in to it and start to feel that anger, this crazy thing happens. It's called emotional contagion. Studies have shown that we transfer our emotions. All you empaths are thinking, yeah, I know. <laughs> when you start to feel angry, that transfers to the other person and they start to feel angry. And that transfers to you and before you know it, you're having a really ugly conversation. So as much as is possible, we need to work to diffuse the intensity of our emotions. Easy peasy, right? No problem, I got that. I'm Irish and Italian. I, this is 
a lost cause for me, right? But there is one thing that is so helpful to reducing the intensity of emotions. This is a term called fractionation. Fractionation sweeping the nation. Get used to it, it's so helpful. It basically says, how can a broad emotional topic be broken down into smaller, more manageable sizes? So let's say you've worked really hard on a project. Your boss comes in and offers a tremendously harsh critique of your work. Your first thought, those emotions, you might be like, I hate my boss. I hate my boss, I hate this job, I hate my life. And before you know it, you have these huge thoughts and so you have huge emotions. And that is really hard to minimize because it feels like everything's at stake. So instead, let's start to see what am I actually feeling? What are the specifics about what's happening? Do I hate this person? Probably not. Maybe instead I'm feeling something that's more manageable. So in this example, maybe you're embarrassed because you want to be perceived well. That's fair. Maybe you're disappointed because you sincerely thought that you did really well. Or maybe you are just straight up frustrated that you're even feeling all these feelings. Now, I don't know about you, but it is way easier for me to focus on those emotions than I hate my boss, I hate my job, I hate my life. <laughs> big thoughts have big emotions. And so smaller thoughts have smaller emotions. The last thing that we can do to be good listeners, and this is gonna sound kind of funny, kind of obvious, we need to remember. <laughs> we need to remember what we've heard. Now I'm gonna share a staggering statistic with you, especially as someone speaking to you. But on average, we forget about two thirds of what we hear. Or at least I think that's what I heard. Just kidding, that's a real statistic. We forget two thirds of what we hear. So, knowing that, let's make sure, all y'all petty betties, that we are focusing on the one third that matters. As we saw last week, the meaning that we create comes from what we select and what we organize. So let's make sure that we're not selecting that one thing they said that really rubbed me the wrong way but instead we're giving an honest effort to listen to the whole and take away the main nugget. This makes us good listeners. Okay, so that's how we listen supportively. Now it's our turn. Now it's our turn to speak. I wanna make sure that when I'm speaking, I am not creating a defensive environment because when we get defensive, dialogue shuts down and then emotions ramp up and we're no longer having productive conversations, and we're hurting the relationship. So, Jack Gibbs lists out six pairings, ways that we can either create defensiveness or supportive climates. So let's go through that list. And this is something that you can sink your teeth into this week, but I'm just gonna kind of list them out. The first pairing is evaluation versus description. We as humans become defensive when our thoughts are quickly critiqued or evaluated. So if I'm speaking and the first thing out of your mouth is, really, I don't know about that, that's not what I heard, I'm gonna get defensive. We need to be able to repeat back to somebody what we've heard using descriptions, not evaluations. So for example, I can say, okay, I can tell that you're angry. That is a description versus you're being too emotional. <laughs> That is an evaluation. And if you've ever been told you're being too emotional or too anything, you know that your defensiveness goes right through the roof. The second pairing is neutrality versus empathy. So we as humans become defensive if our thoughts, experiences, yada yada, are met with detached, distant neutrality. So if I come running into you and I'm like, oh man, I'm so excited this thing happened, and you're like, hmm. Rude, I'm gonna get defensive. So we need to make sure that when it's our turn to talk that we engage with the other person's feelings. Put ourselves in their shoes. Use words that communicate that. The third pairing is strategy versus spontaneity. As humans, we become defensive when we feel we're being manipulated. 
So if I'm speaking and you ask me questions and I can tell that you're like trying to make a point or maybe you're leading me into a trap, I'm gonna get defensive. Similarly, if someone says, hey, we need to talk, and I sit down, and they have clearly prepared a full monologue. <laughs> okay, I didn't know we were supposed to prepare for this. I'm defensive. So we need to make sure that we go in with spontaneity. Sure, we're talking about communication principles, but that's so that you can go in and adapt to the conversation, not prepare rigidly and manipulate someone. The fourth pairing is controlling versus problem orientation. We as humans become defensive when we feel that others are forcing their perspectives on us. You've probably experienced this before. If someone only sees things from their side and refuses to acknowledge yours, refuses to talk about what they've heard you say, you're gonna get defensive. And so when we speak, we need to find solutions, tap into something someone else has said, and look for things that are beneficial and equitable to both parties. The fifth is certainty versus provisionalism. Say what? What does that even mean? Let me help you out. Certainty versus provisionalism. We as humans become defensive when others express beliefs as unshakable, absolute. I'm looking at us Christians, right? How many times have we started a conversation about our faith and 30 seconds in, the other person's defensive? Sure, you can have absolute truths, but if you communicate them in a way that doesn't provide for someone else's point of view, you're gonna get defensiveness. And so provisionalism allows us to show an openness to other views and perspectives. And lastly, the final pairing is superiority versus equality. We as humans become defensive when others present an attitude of superiority. So, I have a background in communication studies. We'll just pretend that every now and then, if my husband and I get in kind of a fight, when I bring up all the things that I know about how we should be communicating, <laughs> as anyone would, he gets defensive. Come on, it's not fair. So sure, you might know more about a topic than the person that you're talking to. You might have more experience, experience that you think is more pertinent. But if you wanna diffuse defensiveness, you need to allow space and show regard for others and their contribution. They might have something that you haven't thought about before. So I hope that those pairings help to paint a picture of how we can select our words, our attitude, our posture when we communicate with others. And now I'm gonna leave you with one final thing. This is our bonus material. And it's my secret weapon. In fact, most of the questions that you email in, they're probably gonna be related to this. If all else fails, talk about the way you're talking about the things you're talking about. We're talking about meta-communication here. It is always okay to communicate about the communication. In fact, it's very disarming. It can help the relationship, keep the conversation safe. So what do I mean by this? Let's say you're in a conversation, you're sitting there, and you feel those emotions rising, and you're like, we have T minus 10 seconds before I erupt. Call it out. Hey, I have to be honest with you, I'm noticing a strong emotional reaction on my end, and I wanna be able to process that before I say something I'm gonna regret. Thank you, right? If you're not sure what to think, maybe someone has brought up an idea that you've never considered and it kind of goes against something that you felt pretty strongly about. Say that. Hey, I gotta be honest with you, you've brought up some things that are kind of hard for me to hold right now. Do you mind if I take some time to kind of process them? Maybe you feel attacked in a conversation. Things have gone south and you're being attacked. Hey, I appreciate everything that you're saying, I'm hearing it. I don't know how to respond well right now, but I really want to. Is there a chance that we could find a time next week to meet and talk about this after I've had a moment to really think about what we've discussed? It is always okay to say that you don't know what to say or what to do with it, as long as you acknowledge the other person. 
let them know. I hear you. What you've said has made an impression on me. Your feelings matter to me. And ultimately, if you're the one who asks for a timeout, you have to tap back in. It will dramatically hurt the communication climate if you ask for a break and then never pick it back up. Whew. That was easy. <laughs> it's not easy, right? All of this is so complicated and there's a lot. But as a reminder, like I said last week, we have a lifetime to go through this. Take it step by step. We saw week one, what communication is, all that goes into it. We looked at perspective taking, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And this week we talked about supportive climates. Is the relationship okay for us to have a hard conversation? And if so, how do I listen well and speak in a way that minimizes defensiveness? Next week we put it all together. You've evaluated the climate. Yep, it's time for us to have this conversation. How do you initiate it well? How do you prepare for it? And how do you organize it? So to get ready for next week, we've got some more homework. Homework number one. What is one skill from today that really stood out to you? What's that one thing? Write it down. And then look for a way to practice it one time this week. Number two. I want you to identify one relationship where the climate could stand to be improved. I want you to think about that. How can you improve that climate? And then for all of you overachievers out there, I want you to find a way to build acknowledgement in every conversation you have this week. Look for a way to tell the other person, I see you, I hear you. And then lastly, this has been our homework assignment through the entire series, pray. Pray over that one relationship where things are tense. Pray over the future conversations you know you have to have. And ultimately and most importantly, pray that God would reveal to you what you need to work on in your communication. Thank you so much for hanging with me this week. I'm so excited. I'll see you next week.